Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Tuesday Brekkie on 3CR Community Radio. <laughs> it's... Yes, <laughs> sorry. What is it? Talk to us. It's November 20th, and it's Transgender Day of Remembrance. Mm-hmm. So we've got a really special show planned for you all. And in the studio... <laughs> yeah. We have Ayan, who looks super cute. I like the cap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's because my hair is trash, so I was like, this is the best thing to hide my hair. <laughs> it's nice. Caps come, come in handy for that. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> And you got Georgie and Lauren, <laughs> and Anya is taking a very well-deserved break. Yes. She's over in apparently freezing cold New Zealand. Is it cold there? That's what she said, and it seems wild because hey. it is warm here. Yes. But, um, there you go. New Zealand is different, a different place to Australia. Who <laughs> <you>? <laughs> anyway, Anya, we miss you, and we hope you're having yes. a really lovely time. So just to introduce the program today... Um, Transgender Day of Remembrance is observed in late November. Um, it's in recognition of the 1998 murder of Rita Hester, a black trans woman. Rita was a highly visible member of the transgender community in Boston, where she worked locally on education around transgender issues, and her murder has yet to be resolved, yet to be solved, sorry. And I just wanted to read a quote by the founder of Transgender Day of Remembrance, Gwendolyn Ann Smith. The Transgender Day of Remembrance seeks to highlight the losses we face due to anti-transgender bigotry and violence. I'm no stranger to the need to fight for our rights, and the right to simply exist is first and foremost. With so many seeking to erase transgender people, sometimes in the most brutal ways possible, it is vitally important that those we lose are remembered, and that we continue to fight for justice. So for today's show today, we've got a number of really incredible Mm. guests who will be talking from their own lived experiences as trans people, also from their knowledge. I think, Lauren, your interview is concerning uh, history. Yes, with a historian. We've got Sally Goldner, who knows everything about everything. Yes. um, Joining us. Yeah, it was hard to know how to structure those questions because I think there's like a a billion things we could ask Sally I sort of want to just sit with her for a whole 24 hours. (laughs) Um, maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Sally, if you're already listening, <laughs> we're down. Um, so we might go to a song now. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically, Chronically Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. 
We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5 and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning. You're listening to Tuesday Brecky. So for Transgender Day of Remembrance today, we've just got some, um, some community announcements and some info that we'd like to share with you before we go into our interviews this morning. There's a website called Transmurder Monitoring, which is horrific that you know, this kind of website is required, but also really important that it documents this, this, this kind of violence and um, violence against trans people that happens globally. And so looking at the website, um, a 2018 update has revealed a total of 369 cases of reported killings of trans and gender diverse people between the 1st of October 2017 and the 30th of September this year. And that's an increase of 44 cases compared to last year's update and 74 cases compared to 2016. And so the majority of these murders occur in Brazil, Mexico, the US and Colombia. And this adds up to a total of 2,982 reported cases in 72 countries worldwide between the 1st of January 2008 and the 30th of September this year. So... There isn't a lot about Australia in these stats, but one of the really important things that the website acknowledges is that just because they don't have the information there doesn't mean that this doesn't happen. And so we wanted to say if any listeners actually know about any um, any murders or any instances of violence that have happened in Australia that we're not aware of, we'd also really like to to know that and share it as well. Um, and a, an important an important thing that the website also points out is you know the stigma and discrimination against trans and gender diverse people that sort of feeds into this kind of violence and that it also overlaps with other forms of oppression in society such as racism sexism xenophobia anti sex worker sentiment and discrimination and that a lot of a lot of the trans people who have been murdered have been people of color they've been sex workers and they've been migrants so important kind of thing to also look at with yeah with what's going on. So we've also got some community announcements for today. So there's a number of like really awesome events going on in Melbourne. The first one is at Bagoon Gananian in uh, Fitzroy North, so that's North Fitzroy Library. It is a memorial reception and performance by Mama Alto. Mama Alto is going to be in two, uh, in two places at once tonight, I think, going straight from one event to the other. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a memorial reception. Mama Alto is performing... Uh, Mama Alto is a, tran- a gender transcendent diva, jazz singer and community activist and it will be to honour and remember transgender and gender non-conforming people whose lives have been lost to, tra- to transphobia. It's from 6.30 to 7.30 today and bookings are essential via the Yarra Library's website. And the second event is at Hares and Hyenas which is that really cute <laughs> place on Johnston Street. It's actually hosted by Transgender Victoria, so maybe we can chat to Sally about it later. It's from 7.30 to 9.30, and it's also commemorating International Transgender Day of Remembrance with song, poetry, and community, guided by Mama Alto (laughs) and accompanied by William Elm. This event will be an emotional and musical experience, so it sounds like there will also be people sharing their stories and an opportunity for gender-diverse members of the audience to say words as well. 
And so that, yes, so that's at Hares and Hyenas, 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, from 7.30 to 9.30. Entry is free. And I also want to include an event that was flagged to me by MV, and MV is the producer of In Your Face and just a general um, amazing human being. Um, so the event is called Queer Legacies, New Solidarities by Deakin University. It's on Wednesday, November 24th. So it's organised by the Australian Lesbian and Gay Archives, uh, and they're celebrating their 40th anniversary. Um, the anniversary will be a launch of two poetry books and readings. Um, ALGA is a non-profit organization that collects and preserves LGBTIQ material. It's free, which is always delicious, um, but obviously you'd pay for the books. Duh. Um, location is 124 Latrobe Street, RMIT University. Um, so it's Building 9, Level 1, Room 124, and we'll um, put up all that information um, to our Facebook page. But right now, oh, okay, <laughs> so more events? Yes, yeah, yeah, these aren't events, but just other things to mention. Um, so there is a GoFundMe for um, a, uh, an Indigenous trans woman called Liz Moore's Lily, um, and we'll put the link up on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Liz Lily is wanting to get breast implants and she's been, she's experienced cancer and all of these things. And I think this has been set up just to support her financially through this process. So you can read more about her story on the GoFundMe and we'll put that up. And the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, support for CJ Palmer, who is a trans woman who's been in prison for, I think it would be a year now at least, um, for, uh, is it convicting grievous bodily harm um, uh, in relation to, because uh, CJ Palmer is a sex worker and she was accused of um, giving someone HIV. Uh, so you can read more about her story. We've talked about it on the program as well. And you can support her financially, but you can also send her letters because she's being held in a male prison. Um, and so probably would be nice to kind of receive support from people in the community. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. With over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different inclusive sports, meet Paralympians and watch the AFL Wheelchair Challenge. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Monday the 3rd of December from 10 till 3pm at Crown River Walk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
That was Okenyum, who is an amazing vocalist from Sydney, featuring Miss Blanks, a Tuesday Brekkie fave, but we can't usually play her on air because she swears a lot in her music, and we really like that, but the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia does not. <laughs> Shout out to our overlord. Constantly in a battle with... <laughs> so that song was called Women's Wo- Woman's World, rather. Um, and it's available at all good music outlets. George. Wow, very professional. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. So on the line we have Sally Goldner, Tuesday Breakfast Shiro. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know Sally, she is an educator, speaker and executive director of Transgender Victoria and presenter of 3CR's very own Out of the Pan. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Sally. Pleasure, George. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's just start, I guess, by talking about Transgender, Transgender Day of Remembrance or TDOR. What is what is the significance of this day for you and for your community? So Transgender Day of Remembrance, just to give the intro for it, is has been running since the late nineties. Um, it was first recognised in nineteen ninety nine. So this is the twentieth time. Um, it was founded by Gwendolyn Ann Smith to memorialise the, mur- the sad murder of her trans woman friend Rita Hester and I suppose should have come in with a content warning there because we do have to talk about mm. some difficult things including transphobia, my apologies. So it's been running for 20 years and it just seems to be growing in strength. The strength um, recognised in many countries, many um, observances around the world and so it's a day of mixed feelings. Obviously, we have to acknowledge the sadness and pain of those we've lost, but it is also a sense of solidarity where our community stands together with family members and allies. And I was thinking about this just before I came on, that trans and gender diverse people, of course, have the same potential to contribute to society, the same creativity, maybe at times even genius. And I don't say that to diminish this day. It highlights exactly why we need it, that so much waste happens on so many levels. Of course, all the individual lives that are lost and the families who don't have their loved ones anymore. But it also says, hey, um, this is why this needs to stop. And so it can be challenging, but it can also bring people together. So there's mixed significance, if you like, for both the community and personally um, for myself, yeah. Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense where, where those mixed feelings would come in in terms of you know, having to recognise, you know, the the violence that a lot of trans people experience, but also, yeah, look at that strength and that creativity, as you've pointed out. And it's also good to hear that it, it has grown um, as, a, as a day over the years. And I was also wondering how how has how have LGBTIQA plus movements kind of evolved as well over this time? I think that, you know, look, starting first with Australia, that things have are better than they were 20 years ago. But, of course, the thing that I always say immediately after saying that, of course, we didn't just start from zero. We all, In a way, we started from minus 100, if you can use that, mm. analogy, use that analogy. And we have seen progress. And, yes, marriage equality was a good thing last year, but there's still a feeling of many trans people have been you know, thrown under the bus, along with many others. Um, I can speak for by, and I acknowledge my privilege, um, as someone who's white, but I know many multicultural, multi-faith um, people of colour, you know, felt very much sort of sacrificed in that. And 
But where we still have to improve is that it's, to me, some of that's still happening and some of our um, so-called community leaders haven't really caught up with the idea that about who speaks for whom. Mm. So we've had some shifts externally and internally. I think that's welcome, but we've got distance to travel. And until we, you know, I often hear this phrase, we all have to work together, which is somewhat true, but it's also incomplete. We need to work together with equality, professionalism, and always aiming for win-win solutions. We've got to stop throwing people under the bus. Mm. And then we'll all be better off, really. So I think that's where we've still got room internally. And, of course, externally, we know, as sad as it is to talk about, whilst that's primarily about you know those trans people who were murdered, we acknowledge things like people who, due to the constant distress of discrimination, had too many mental health issues and are not with us either. And... You know, so there's all those things, and we know about you know the need for accurate documentation, yes. um, ending religious and sport exemptions, and so on. So yeah, lots to talk about. Yeah, and Sally, do you know if there is a place where that uh, this information is documented in Australia? Um, the the website um, which um, puts up the annual release, and I did want to talk about the world situation is called transrespect.org, and if you go to their front page, scroll down a little, you'll see the press media release for 2018, and mm. the sad reality is 369 reported yeah. murders of trans and gender diverse people in the 12 months up to 30 September 2018, and so in the, um, you know, the time that the, the reporting has been monitored mm. as best as it can, you know, it's now a very huge number in 11 years, um, 2,982 people, but that's um, only 72 countries where things are monitored and yeah. there's, what is it, 210, 220 countries in the world. So one wonders. But the critical point that I am, we need to acknowledge is intersectionality. Um, and, you know, this is just horrifying that 62% of um, people who are murdered are people who work in the sex industry, acknowledging that, it may not be that they're trans, but it could be, you know, because the primary motivation, not that it excuses it, was that they work in the sex industry, so we don't want to, you know, sort of take anyone's issues. But we do need to acknowledge also in the US, 85% people of colour are Native American trans women. And it was interesting to note this year, the focus on migrate, you know, European migrants, 65% of murder victims reported in four countries in Europe mm. were migrants. So... That's something that we need to work on is how we hold space for each other and all these issues is really, really important. Yeah, and I guess it really points out that it's not just about transphobia but about a lot of other issues in terms of inequality and we have to look at things, you know, as as you've mentioned, from an intersectional perspective. Um, I just want to come back to... um, So you mentioned marriage equality and I was interested in this, uh, this question of the limits of the law in addressing issues of transphobia and these inequalities that trans people continue to face, say, around access to public bathrooms or coming out to families, navigating workplaces, you know, how do you see the law in dealing with some of these societal issues? There's two things there. I'm reminded of the Martin Luther King saying the law may not change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless, and I think the law is therefore helpful. But it can only set a minimum legalistic standard and not do all the practical work, and that's where we get into another aspect that trans organisations need comprehensive funding to go out and do the educational work that fleshes out the law. 
and it's still a, a travesty in Victoria, a supposed leader, that there are no ongoing funded trans organisations. Sydney has the Gender Centre, a gender agenda in Canberra is partially funded, but that's it around Australia. And, of course, we then go could go around the world where things are probably a lot worse. So, um, in fact, they are. Let's, let's not sugarcoat that at all. So we do need education as well that um, works carefully through, you know, people's attitudes and, you know, in a safe way. And, you know, obviously there's better ways to do that rather than, heaven forbid, um, you know, commercial media, drive-time commercial media programs or something that do it for ratings mm. points and don't care about our lives. So, yeah, we definitely need um, funded trans organisations. Project funding is great and welcome, but it can only go so far. And it is, you know, time that trans organisations um, say in Victoria, yes, obviously I'm involved with Transgender Victoria, but why gender do great work for Shed um, and so on, and just to name a few. So we need that ongoing funding so that volunteers don't burn out. Yeah. You know, already enough yeah. stress, and then you've got volunteer burnout trying to do it while you're doing your other proverbial day job. That's an issue as well. Yeah, and aside from that, and aside from the legal, um, the legal side, what what other structural issues do you think exist for trans people that can, you know, that we can kind of think about? I think that we live in a society. This is where we get, to, you know, one just for starters. I mean, is the whole nature of gender, in particularly in the proverbial Western society, anyone who is not, in simple language, the proverbial macho male faces discrimination. And so this is where trans and gender diverse make a contribution to the whole debate about gender. And I've coined the phrase 100% respect for women, every face, every place. Trans and gender diverse people, I think, make a huge contribution to that. We hear, and I've faced it myself in my previous occupation as an accountant, how, you know, trans women suddenly lose, you know, lose what if they had privilege. Um, in the first part of their life to how it's gone. And, you know, I talk about it as an accountant how um, the auditors would come in and just respect everything I said when I was a male and then all of a sudden they'd start questioning me on everything and mansplaining debits and credits or something. <laughs> and we hear also of trans men who, on the flip side, suddenly their jokes are laughed at and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we have this insight that can add to those debates and say how stupid is all of everything I've just said. Why don't we just respect people on their abilities? But of course, and I really think we need to take that positive as well as saying don't disrespect people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a, definitely a structural issue on gender. Yes. And then, of course, acknowledging all the intersectionalities as well. You know, we've just got to get to start valuing diversity and treating people with true respect. And what about social and economic factors? I mean, things like access to education or access to healthcare. You know, are these also tied to kind of issues around um, the issues that trans people face? Definitely. And I was thinking about this actually um, this week in Melbourne is the Australian Association of Bicoincidence at the same time of, and I'm never sure whether it's gerontology or um, I think that's the word, um, ageing in general. And there's a talk about this that I'm in tomorrow on social and economic determinants for ageing. And so if you're an older trans person, you've placed enough stress and um, bad health and can't get health care provision because you go to a clinic and are misgendered or um, you can go to a um, somewhere and you end up, rather than getting what you need, you get, end up giving some GP a 20-minute 
education that they then charge you eighty dollars for, etc. But also, if you haven't been able to work as much, you couldn't get a fair start at school because you were bullied, you, met, you were unemployed or underemployed, and you somehow scraped through to the end of life. How do you afford aged care? Um, because you haven't been able to utilise your potential, get income, get super and savings and all the rest in a society that is, you know, inequitable in that way. So, you know, there's a, a social and economic factor for older trans people as well. So, yeah, there's a whole heap of overlapping issues in terms of intersectionality that would come into it mm, as well. Yeah, and I guess coming back to these recent changes we've seen in laws in terms of the marriage equality and people not having to change their gender on their birth certificate or not having to divorce in order to change their gender on their birth certificate, obviously it seems like you know these are just you know specific things that affect a specific group of trans people, but then looking at all of these other factors around... Um, money and access and education kind of need to be taken into consideration as well? Definitely, yeah. And look, this is where there was a problem with the marriage equality debate. It was predominantly a gay and lesbian issue. And yes, you can say forced divorce is now done in five states and territories. I'm getting word that the Northern Territory might be close, if not done. I'm still waiting on confirmation of that and hopefully Tasmania will move, which would only leave Western Australia. But I'm also reminded of a, a national trans roundtable I was at a few years ago where we mapped out a wish list and marriage was barely mentioned and only in the context of forced divorce. So it was never a top-line item. You know, the top-line items remain health care, in no particular order, health care, documentation, um, funding and, you know, you know strong anti-discrimination laws with you know, preferably no exemptions, particularly things like sport and religion. Interesting to see the movement on the some movement on religious exemptions in relation to teachers and students, but obviously still needs to go further. Yes, definitely. And unfortunately, I think we'll have to wrap wrap up now. But I, yeah, I hope that um, by the time we speak to you next year, but hopefully we'll talk to you before then, um, we'll see some of these changes take place, and particularly what you've been speaking about in terms of addressing the the hierarchies within the LGBTIQA plus community. Um, and also, Sally, you wanted to mention that. Uh, is it the Hares and Hyenas event tonight is actually sold out? Is that right? Unfort well, I'm not sure whether it's unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's good that there's a lot of interest, but unfortunately now it has sold out. And given that we've got some sticky, steamy weather in Melbourne, we don't want to overcrowd. Yes. So I don't think we'll be releasing any more tickets. But what you can do is next Tuesday is what's called Giving Tuesday, and you can buy a ticket in advance for Trans Day of, Vi uh, Trans Day of Visibility event, which is on March 31st. So check out Transgender Victoria's Facebook page for details on how you can do that. So, um, you know, the, the, that's a positive thing yes. that there are so many events that the trans community organises. I noticed there's lots of trans stuff in the Midsummer Festival this year. And so, you know, that is where I suppose we can end on a hopeful note that as much as today is difficult, there's lots of trans people standing up and saying, hey, cut the nonsense because we're here. Thank you so much, Sally. We just, yeah, we are so grateful to have you on here and we really appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks, George. And, yeah, all the best to trans and gender diverse people, families and allies on this day. Each year, 3CR celebrates International Day of People with Disability. I want choices and rights. Choices. Join us on Monday, December 3rd from 7am to 7pm for a day of dedicated programming. 
Hear our voices on the issues that matter to us. The right to access, education, empowerment, pride, to creativity and expression, to freedom from discrimination and violence. Tune in on December 3 from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on 3CR. And join the fight for the choices and rights of disabled people. <laughs> okay, that was good enough, yeah? Excellent, done. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellows learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune into Firefest every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR for our special Transgender Day of Remembrance program. So we are going to go to an interview now. It's a conference call, so we'll see how we go in terms of the technical things. <laughs> um, but on the line we have um, Jeremy who, and Jeremy and Sammy. Um, Jeremy is a amical man, a proud brother boy and an artist. His work looks at how queerness has been erased from his culture through colonisation and Christian missions. He is currently based in Darwin. Sammy is an Aboriginal, um, Indigenous, sorry, and Torres Strait Islander, an African trans woman who is based up in Darwin. And both Sammy and Jeremy were featured in Trans Black, which was a series um, which is actually on ABC iView for anyone who's interested. It's, it's really fantastic. Um, so thank you so much, both of you, for joining us this morning. No worries, thanks for having me. <laughs> so we might start just by talking about Trans Day Remembrance and what it means to both of you. Maybe we'll start with you, Sammy. Okay, so um, well, remembrance. I think it's I think it's more about us trans people just remembering that there are still you know serious issues out there that people don't really understand that's happening within the trans community. And I think it's for us as individuals, not only as trans people, just to make people aware of it, really. Yeah, definitely. So just calling attention and issues around visibility and, you know, for people that don't understand that, that this kind of violence and transphobia exists. Yeah, you're just calling it out in everyday life. Yeah. Even if it's just a little thing that someone does, um, if it makes you feel uncomfortable or if you feel it's not right, say something about it. Yeah. And for Jeremy, what what is the significance of the day for you? Yeah, um, well, I mean, so what Sammy said is pretty much perfect. But just to add to that, yeah, I think um, bringing awareness is just so important because I I do live in a bit of a bubble, um, having quite a lot of support around me. And then when I hear stories about my um, you know, brothers and sisters in my trans community dying and facing discrimination, I'm like, oh, okay, this is actually still happening. So, yeah, we need to talk about it and we need to bring awareness to it um, to hopefully stop it happening. Yeah. But I think awareness is the most important thing for sure. Yeah. And so in terms of some of these issues um, around violence and bigotry, uh, what do you think, what sort of changes do you think need to happen in terms of society and cultural attitudes? Maybe, um, Jeremy, you can speak on this question. 
Yeah, uh, look, I think um, people don't really understand <clears throat> a lot about what it means to be trans, and I think there's a lot of la there's lack of information out there and resources, and I think people uh, misunderstand a lot of things. And once you do have an understanding about trans issues, you kind of um, can actually help and be a better, a better ally. So I think, yeah, just helping people become better allies is something that's um, I think really important. Yeah, definitely. And maybe we can talk about allyship um, a bit later on. But I just wanted to ask, so in, in Trans Black, Jeremy, you say that you regret not having um, transitioned sooner. And I'm just sort of wondering, like, what changes do you think would need to, to, to happen in society in order for young trans people to kind of um, work things out and be able to live, you know, as who they are bef without having to go through all of this time kind of navigating navigating it? Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Sorry, I'm just I'm choked on my morning coffee. Um, <laughs> I think safe schools is so important. Like, I was speaking to a friend of mine, Darwin, as a teacher, and I, I was like, what's the go with safe schools? And they pretty much said there's nothing really happening. So, like, I didn't have any resources when I was in high school about what it meant to be trans. When I said I wish I came out earlier, what I meant was I wish I had resources to be able to do that earlier. <clears throat> and I think for young kids, they need resources and they need an environment where they feel like for example if you're using the bathroom that you that you that you um associate that gender with things like that um at school would be small things like that would really help i think trans kids be able to come out and, um, and feel comfortable and stop you know i think that that where that young intervention comes in being able to give kids that resource so they don't feel like they're mm. having to because it is a long um process you know yeah, and it's so frustrating, you know, everything that's happened around safe schools and that people are opposed to that, opposed to people learning about, mm. you know, what it means to be trans and gender diverse. It seems such like a basic thing to have in school education. <clears throat> yeah, you, yeah you, you think so, but I think people, that's, that's the lack of education, people misconstruing that um, education with, oh, you're going to teach my kids about uh, whatever, some kind of sexual thing or relating to things that they actually understand. So if you actually educate people, the parents too, then they may be more on board, better allies, which is just kind of like an education, really. Yeah, definitely. And Sammy, is this true for you as well in terms of education and support and resources? You know, what things are important in your opinion? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think um, people need to be obviously made more aware of it. But then, you know, as humans in society, you know, we're all sort of evolving and understanding these things. Um, and it, it takes just to let make people, not to make people listen, but to give them a better understanding of who we are as individuals as well mm. um, and as trans people. And, it, you know, it does take a long time because people grow up in all different walks of life and they don't understand it. And it's not their fault. You know, today's generation is much better because there's, there's a lot more spoken about when it comes to trans people. There's not a lot, but there's a lot more than there used to be. And it gives them a better understanding of who we are. But it, it's still going to be a long process that's around that, I think. Yeah. And that's why I think Trans Black is, is such a fantastic series, just kind of sharing these stories and people's lived experiences. And I love the way both of you kind of, I guess, your attitude around having these conversations with people, with your friends and family, and that you both seem to have a lot of patience and kind of understanding, which is really, um, yeah, it's really cool. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, it's needed. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, did you want to go? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I just didn't want to talk on top of you, Sammy, but I was just going to... Say we spoke about this, George, in our conversation about having to not always be an educator for everyone around us because, I mean, yeah, yeah we do have patients. I do have patients and sometimes it's like I will talk to people about things, but I, I don't feel like it's our responsibility um, to, to do that. And that's where I think um, it's quite draining on trans people or time to have to always feel like they have to be the one to educate everyone else around them. So um, yeah, definitely. that's a difficult thing too. Yeah, and if there was that, um, if there was those resources put into things like education, then it wouldn't be kind of this responsibility that falls on activists and trans people yes, to, you know, exactly. have to educate people in their communities. Yes, I 100% agree to that. Um, and so, so um, Sammy, I'd like to ask you, so um, how does your identity as um, African, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander impact your um, identity as trans? Well, I suppose I grew up in two different worlds, you know, with my mum, you know, Aboriginal Trust Islander, um, you know, a different sort of culture and background there. And then you've got my father's side, who's African from Ghana. And again, that's a very strong side as well. Being the oldest in the family on my dad's side, it was much tougher um, because there was a lot more responsibility sort of laid on myself. And then me being trans, it was like unacceptable, not heard of in the community, you know, they don't do that or we don't do that, what are you thinking, so to speak. But it, um, it, it takes time, I suppose, to make your parents and your family and your friends sort of understand. Um, and if your friends sort of walk away from you, then so be it. You know, you can't please everybody. Um, but then with your parents, you just, again, pretty much the same thing and at the end of the day, they realise you're their child and they come back around eventually. Mm. Um, but it, the impact itself that it's had on me, I think it's, at the end of the day, it's made me a stronger person. And if you can get your parents around, which eventually I did, um, they're pretty much the only people that really matter, really. Yeah. Anyone else in... in your community who feels like it's wrong or anything else, that's fine. That's their opinion. They can have it. But as long as they respect you um, as an individual, then so be it. Mm. And you see, in the in the film, um, you seem to have a really beautiful relationship with your stepmother. Oh, yes. Seems like a very supportive yes, and loving person. Well, yeah. Well, she, very much so. Um I think just being, you know, a woman and a mother, I think she just understands a lot more than more than fathers can, I think. Mm. And so it took her to sort of help me a little bit along when it comes to sort of getting around to my father. But once he understood that I think everyone else was okay, he was okay. Mm. And Jeremy... What about for you in terms of navigating um, culture and identity? Um, and on the phone a couple of days ago, we were talking about your art and creativity as a way of kind of expressing these ideas. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. <clears throat> so for me, I guess hearing um, Sammy talk about her parents, um, I can't really relate to that as far as my parents have been really instantly accepting from day one. But as far as my culture goes, I'm studying a Bachelor of Indigenous Art at university. And when I was there... <clears throat> 
I was faced with it, people from my uni basically saying I can't participate in women's women's business or men's business, can't do this, can't do that. And I thought, oh, okay, well, where is this coming from? What, where, are these, where are these people in my own culture getting these ideas that I can't fit in to my own culture? So that kind of really, like, I was struggling a lot with that. And I met some other trans Indigenous people who really opened my eyes to how like I said, Christian missions and Christianity, all those things, colonisation has erased um, queerness and I believe trans identities within our culture. So I'm trying, my art, I just basically imagine my own world where that still exists, you know, and I try and navigate, well, understand, unpack all of that through my art. So, um, yeah, and it's helped me really feel like I have a sense of belonging in my own culture through mm. that. I think this is such a powerful, powerful thing, the way, you know, recognising that it is colonisation and the imposition of Christianity in Indigenous communities, which has enforced, like, it has, which has imposed these ideas of gender binaries and ideas of sexuality. Mm. Definitely, yes, definitely, and that's something, because there's, there's other, other cultures do look at trans people and they honour them, and there's, the way that they are representing the culture is completely different to Aboriginal Australian culture so it's yeah it's something that I know exists but it's just that's really and that's why it's so hard to for people to um for example like other indigenous people to say oh I can accept someone like me doing men's business because it's that old Christian um mentality that's in for it's it's a lot to unpack and it's goes quite deep but yes that's something that i Christianity's fucked up a lot of things, basically. <laughs> yes, and uh, so yeah. and so through your art, is that like a, a way of kind of expressing it um, that is is sort of easier to reach people than say in a very political kind of way? Like, kind yeah, because I think when you, sorry, I yeah, try to cut you off there, but no. I think art is a, a better way for me anyway to reach people because it's it's you don't have to really say much. I think when you try and get to even political people kind of shut off and close their ears off, but they can understand, everyone can understand art, so, you know. Yeah, and I, I also remember in the film, um, Sammy, I think your brother was speaking about these ideas of masculine and feminine energies and, and how everyone kind of holds them, or it did seem like a, you know, a different understanding of, of gender than a sort of Western perspective. Yeah, yeah. So with with that, yeah, I suppose me and my me and my brother had a conversation, and he said, um, which which stuck with me a while. And he's like, you know, you you know, you're you're a unique human being because you hold and you harness the energy of both the masculine and the feminine. Um, I suppose of masculine and feminine sort of. Um, sort of attitude mm. around life yeah. you know being mothering and nurturing but also can be very tough when I have to be yeah and I was like oh okay yeah. and he goes not a lot of people can harness both those energies and sort of deliver them both when need be and he goes you know there was places that were only allowed for women who didn't want to speak with men back in the day and he said the same thing happened with men as well mm. um and that was the way of just separating themselves from the people that weren't bubble for making themselves comfortable with who they were as individuals. Yeah. Um, and so it, that's what stuck with me a little bit. Um, and I thought about that a lot. But um, 
he's always had a better, a, a, a really good understanding um, of that. But then going back to it where, you know, there are sort of where we hold these energies. You know, in India, for instance, you know, they have a agenda mm. where, you know, it's it's respected and looked upon and respected highly. Like, and as, going back to Jeremy, what Jeremy's saying, you know, there are people in the world that still respect and understand this side of life. Um, and then here it's just, it, it's still evolving. And it's got to start with us, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, just being more open about it. Definitely. And I, I think that's, I, I love that perspective because, you know, obviously not to kind of push aside the, the transphobia and the issues a lot of trans people face in society, but kind of recognising that there is something about having these experiences and, and the understanding that you would have of, of other people and yourself through that, I think, is a, and seeing it, as you mentioned, like the way that um, in other cultures it's, it's seen as a really positive thing. And I think that's kind of a really powerful perspective to, to acknowledge and learn about. Yeah. Definitely, honestly, for me, <clears throat> here, I'm um, sorry, I feel like I'm cracking my voice and it's like reverberating back. Um, but for me, honestly, like meeting other brother boys and feeling like I do belong in my own culture and having both perspectives has like given me such a interesting perspective on the world and I, I believe made me more of a feminist and more of a... I don't know, I just think that that perspective is, like I said, do you want to discount all that transphobia, but at the same time, we have a very, me and Sammy, unique perspective being trans Indigenous people, and we can um, shed light on some pretty amazing stuff. And so, obviously, there's so much to chat to both of you about. Maybe we can have you both on again in the future. Um, But just to to sort of finish up, I'd love to ask you both, for anyone who's listening who's trans or perhaps unsure, just working it out, what's a message you would want to sort of send to them? Maybe we can start with you, Sammy. Um, I suppose with anyone out there probably listening who's having trouble with even what could be even just coming with terms with who they are or scared that, you know, people are going to re- react badly and things like that. Reality is, is it, you know, it may happen <clears throat> and you've just got to be strong and just, you know, get through it. Do, you know, do some research, find places that can help support you uh, go through this journey. It's not a hard it's not an easy thing to do because there's not a lot of resources out there. But if you look hard enough, you'll definitely find um, the places that can. And just take your time. There's no rush. I know some of us <clears throat> wish we did a lot earlier. But just take your time with that. Find those resources. Find that help that you may need. Um, and start with talking to somebody about it. Thank you, Sammy. And for you, Jeremy, what's something that you would like to impart? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to like echo what um, Sammy said, talk to people and, and find resources. But I think that don't think just because your parents um, don't react in a positive way or your family, don't think that's the end of it. You have other allies and... Um, you know, don't give up on, on the fact that your family may not be supportive of you. There's a lot of resources out there if you actually go on uh, Facebook too and um, there's a lot of brother, boy, sister, girl groups that you can join and it's just great to have, I think, other trans support. So, yeah, I'd say 
seek out some um, groups like that with other trans people that you can talk to and um, just have that group support. Thank you so much, Sammy and Jeremy. If anyone is listening, oh, I'm sure many people listening. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, you can catch Trans Black on ABC iView to hear more about Jeremy and Sammy's stories. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's very early up there in Brisbane and Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I'm making more coffee now. <laughs> Bye. The song, the two songs that you heard. Um, before this interview was Miss Blanks with Skinny Bitches and the other song was um, with Shea Diamond and the song was called I Am Her. We'll be back after some CSAs. Uh, Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Hi, this is Sonny Landreth, and you're listening to Night Owls on Rhythm with Werner Martin on 3CR AM. Now, here's a track from my new live album, recorded live in Lafayette. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. We're joined on the line now by Dr. Andy Kalidofos, who is a historian, criminologist and lecturer at the University of New South Wales. And they're joining us this morning to provide a historical perspective on transgender people and the law in Australia. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for inviting me, Lauren. My pleasure to be here. So let's, um, let's start with what does this day mean to you? I mean, this day to me, as a proud trans man, this day is a day of really sober reflection, I think, on the long struggle of transgender people historically and their struggle globally today. Um, Today, I acknowledge my privilege as a trans man who works in academia and lives in a wealthy city um, where I don't fear for my life on a daily basis. I don't fear violence against me on a daily basis. But I know that this isn't the experience of many trans people in the past. It's certainly not the experience of trans people elsewhere in Australia today um, or elsewhere in the world who live in less safe places, who have um, less strong queer and trans communities around them. 
Um, and I really think, like, when I think of TDOR, I think of interpersonal violence against trans people committed by individuals, meaning acts of personal victimisation um, or violence. But I think it's also really important to think about the structural violence um, committed against trans people in terms of the violence perpetrated by the state, in terms of um, medical care or gender status documents or family recognition, but the state's inability to recognise trans people's personhood, their humanity. And I think that that kind of level of structural violence that I'd call it can't really be divorced from the individual violence that really comes to mind today. Mm, absolutely. And so... Um, it's quite clear then that, that this is your area of research. You research in areas of criminology, sexual violence, criminal law history, um, and those sorts of things in Australia. Mm. So this structural and interpersonal violence, this duality that you're talking about, um, can that be seen in Australia's, I guess, the colonial legal system that was imposed on this country for the last couple of hundred years? Is that what it's looked like? or? Yeah, I mean, I guess the legal system... You know, the legal systems that we that we have today as a British import mostly though it's had a lot of um, variations. I mean I guess one of the one of the real challenges for thinking about how how the legal system has thought about trans people or trans bodies or trans identities is is the historical context of being trans and that is you know, a uh, hundred years ago, we didn't have the word really transgender or necessarily uh, um, understanding in the way that we do today of gender identity. And so the way that trans people appear historically in legal records and also in other records tends to be very um, fragmented. And so one of the um, questions in that scholarship, you know, around trans history is how do we write a trans history um, of people before they had a concept of the way that we would think of as um, gender identity. <clears throat> mm. And so I guess that raises interesting questions because if people are being misidentified or having their identities misunderstood, mm. um, I guess, you know, as a lawyer myself, it goes straight to this is an area rife for the potential criminalisation of yep. identities and behaviours. Is that something that we've seen um, in Australian history? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's hard to hard to say definitively because the records that we have to deal with trans people are so few and far between. Mm. And often, when someone is caught up with the law, is when you will find records of them. Similarly, with queer history, um, you know, the, the, one of the one of the best places to look um, for records of queer communities is in criminal justice records because of policing and prosecuting of um, queer communities. Same with trans. Um, people. So you're coming across people that tend to have been um, caught up in a type of legal regulation. So one of the ways that, if we're thinking about early uh, colonial law, um, one of the ways that that regulated trans communities and also queer communities was through um, vagrancy prosecutions. And so people, um, trans people, or I think we can call them trans people, who wore the attire of the sex that they were not assignment at birth, um, were often prosecuted under vagrancy charges. So those mm. are very broad, a vagrancy charges are a very broad type of um, offence that, that often relates to um, being disorderly in a public space. That's the way that they would have conceived of it. So um, one example was a person, and we only know this person's name, is 
Gordon Lawrence, but this person appeared in um, 1888 at the International Exhibition, which was a, um, a very big kind of colonial event similar to what we might think of as Expo 88, if anyone remembers that, or um, the Sydney Olympics, like a big kind of festival, um, appeared in women's attire and walked around this um, international exhibition and then was arrested for vagrancy as a result of doing that. Mm. So we see a lot of this, what I would call low-level policing, um, and it, like vagrancy charges a petty offence, so low-level policing of dress, um, policing of disorder. Um, and so other, you know, other times when we might find trans people caught up with not necessarily the legal system, but regulatory systems mm. is that they appear in mental health um, records. So one famous example from Australia is Edward de Lacey Evans, um, who was a trans man who married three different women over the course of his life and was in fact listed on a birth certificate as the father um, of a child who was in the 1870s, I think, and he ended up dying in um, a mental institution in Melbourne, and that's why we have records of his life. Mm. And so I guess on the flip side of that, um, you know, Transgender Day of Remembrance memorialises the lives of trans people who have been murdered because of transphobia. Um, so looking at it from that perspective, I guess in Australian law, how how has our legal system um, treated people who perpetrate that kind of violence against transgender people? I, mean, I think that there's, we have very little evidence really of how of how the legal system has treated um, trans people. And I think that the, one of the core of these problems is that um, we're talking about such a small population. It's, it's difficult to make generalisations. I mean, we know a lot about the experience of trans violence, certainly, um, in Australia. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the study that was done in 2012 by Alan Berman and Shirlene Robinson, which is a Queensland study called Speaking Out, Stopping Homophobic and Transphobic Abuse in Australia. Um, one of the things that they found of their study, I think it was over a 1,000 respondents that they had, was that um, trans people had the highest by far rates of um, verbal abuse, rates of um, physical assault, and also very high rates of sexual assault um, versus other queer people. Mm. Um, so, and particularly trans women, um, were very much overrepresented in each of those stats. So almost half of trans women reported being physically assaulted, almost half of trans women reported being sexually assaulted, and 92% of trans women reported receiving verbal abuse. Um, this is over the course of their lifetime. And I think that that tells us really that um, the legal system, probably the policing system, but a whole range of different state systems are not doing a very good job at all at dealing with violence against transgender people. And at the moment, New South Wales is um, undertaking an inquiry, actually a parliamentary inquiry into hate crimes perpetrated against um, the queer community over the last 40 years. So um, me and some colleagues did a submission to that inquiry and... Um, they're holding now, I think, um, the um, interviews at the moment um, and collecting evidence, and I think the results are probably going to be released sometime next year. Um, so I think once once we um, have the results of that, we might know a bit more um, mm. about the way that the law has dealt with trans people, but certainly transgender women were um, part of the... Um, the, the, the group of 88 cases that's been identified by ACON as um, hate crimes, 88 murders, sorry, that have been identified as hate crimes um, in New South Wales from 
the 1970s onwards. That's great that they're doing that inquiry. It will be, um, I imagine, it will be very welcome to get some real, um, real results and a real mm. actual research and information around um, those issues. Because what we've been hearing today consistently throughout our interviews is that there's just not enough research and time spent looking at the experiences of trans people and a lot of queer people as well in Australia, yeah. um, and that we have no statistics to back up what we know is very real both interpersonal and structural violence. Um, so that's really great. We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. Um, and so, I mean, on that note, you know, that's that's great progress that we're seeing and we've seen some recent, um, I guess, progress, we could call it. Um, we've seen overturning of a few laws that have required, for example, trans people to divorce and remarry their spouses if they wanted to change the sex on their birth certificate, um, I guess, for... It, this means different things to different people, but marriage equality, um, mm. all of those sorts of things. So we're seeing, I guess we're in an era of big change, it seems like. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts as a historian from a historical perspective, um, looking at you know then and now, what are your thoughts on the pace of change in relation to transgender people's rights and equality in Australia? Um, I mean, I think that... I think that the pace of change has actually been relatively slow. Um, if we think about it, you know, these these issues have been dealt with, at least in the law, um, for at least 40 years. Um, so, you know, some of the earliest, some of the, like an early, a very early um, legal appeal was in um, in the 80s, where, um, for example, like where the laws dealt with questions of gender identity and what that means, um, was in the 1980s in. Um, uh, New South Wales, I think it was, um, where two trans women were charged with the offence soliciting, um, and that particular offence could only be brought on a male person. So in that case, the, um, it was brought to the New South Wales Supreme Court, and they were to decide whether these two trans women were, for the purposes of the law, considered um, a male person, and um, unfortunately they upheld that they, that they were. Um, but that tells us that the, that, that case was brought, supported by Australian Transsexual Association, was supported by Australian legal, uh, Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of interest in that case. It's brought to the highest level of New South Wales system that tells us that these, these ideas have been around for quite a long time, um, I think. And I think one of the real challenges, though, is that the, the amount of laws that, <laughs> that deeply affect trans people, uh, it's not just you know the criminal law that needs to change, it's not just birth certificates that needs to change, it's a whole system approach to to law and to regulation, to, you know, we're thinking about healthcare, we're thinking about employment, schooling, um, workplace harassment policies, you know, they, you name it, basically, there is a um, way in which the law could change or would need to change mm. to take account of trans people. And so that, for me, um, although we've seen, we've seen a lot of different changes, those changes are non-uniform um, across Australia. They're so particularistic, even just the issue of um, gender gender recognition, you know, so your official gender recognition is different in each state and different in each document. Um, so that, to me, I think tells us that we've we've come a long way, but I think we, we need there's a hell of a long way we need to go um, after after this. Mm, yeah, it's things like that that just betray a complete fundamental misunderstanding of of what life is like um, if, you know, yeah. 
very frustrating. Um, so, look, I think we're almost out of time, but I do just want to wrap up on a final question um, that I guess speaks to your personal and professional experience. What are your thoughts on the way that transgender people are included or potentially not included um, in Australian history? Yeah, I mean, I think if we looked at the big-scale narratives of what we think about as Australian history, we don't see trans people in, in that history and we don't see queer people um, in that history. Though um, I would say, I mean, I have taught Australian history at universities for a number of years and so have many of my colleagues, and there's a big interest in Australia in history of sexuality um, and and actually quite a quite a um, large cluster of people that work on these issues, less so trans history and more so queer history, but that is rapidly changing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful, actually. Um, I'm really hopeful about the inclusion of these stories because I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons why we find, like, the, the, the converse of what I was saying is um, why we find... Um, so many different systems that, that would need to change to to um, encompass the lives of trans people. That's because gender is everywhere, and so trans people are, are um, you know really central to this story of understanding gender and gender relations, um, understanding how gender works as a social structure. So I think if we think about it from that perspective, the trans story is essential to um, to Australian history um, and should be included in um, far more. I think I can speak for all of Tuesday Breakfast when I say we absolutely agree with you. And we thank you so much for your time this morning, Andy. It was greatly appreciated hearing from you. Um, that was Dr. Andy Kaladolfos, who's a historian, criminologist and lecturer at the University of New South Wales, and very generously provided their time this morning. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing Whitefellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. From a private life so public As the tabloids caught your tears how sad, how tragic, but it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program. Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm on 3CR.
3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 from every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am and streaming live at 3cr.org.au Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Come back, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, George, who is sitting across from me, Lauren, who has bounced out, and Envy, who is in the next room, giving me googly eyes, which I appreciate. On the line, we have Jamie. Jamie is a trans man who works as a migration professional for, by day and works at becoming a professional writer by night. He moved to Australia from Singapore in 2010. Jamie only began medically transitioning in July this year and is excited for the journey ahead. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Jamie. All right, thanks for having me. Jamie, what significance does Trans Day of Remembrance have for you? Um, well, I think it's a really good opportunity for me to remember those in the trans community who have come before me and suffered before me. And it's also a personal reminder of how fortunate I am. I guess um, I haven't really experienced any overt transphobia and definitely no physical violence in my daily life because of my transness. But I know that many others are not so fortunate and I don't have to think about this every day, but uh, I think Trans Day of Remembrance is a good day for me to, to consider those in my community who, who have suffered for their transness. But having grown up in Singapore, how does Australia compare in terms of cultural attitudes to trans people? Are the challenges different or similar? Uh, yeah, it's definitely different. I think in Singapore, there's not much nuanced understanding, actually, of what being trans means. Uh, they they don't really know the difference between the different 
you know, what's the difference between LGBTIQ? To them, it's just a, uh, a basket of deplorables, in a sense. Mm. I feel that the conversation here is a lot more nuanced around um, different trans issues. In, in Singapore, you know, you can't even, you're not even allowed to portray um, the LGBTIQ lifestyle positively on the media. So, for example, uh, you can portray a trans person being killed on TV, that's fine but you can't portray them leading a good life. Mm. So that's uh, it's a little bit different there. Um, yeah, there isn't really much understanding, I would say, among the general population. At least here, there's some kind of dialogue. Over there, no one really understands what it means, I don't think. Absolutely. And I guess it's also because when we were chatting to Jamie earlier, um, he was saying how the... I guess, the influence of colonialism and Christianity. I guess in Singapore it would be Islam. I'm not too sure. But that would have an impact on how folks in Singapore see it. Is that correct? Yes, yes. We do have um, a large Muslim population. We also do have a relatively large uh, Christian population. I think evangelical Christianism, uh, Christianity is growing in popularity in Singapore. Um, but there's, there's a lot of cultural um, misunderstanding as well, I, I think. Mm. And it's, it's, it's strange, but I think it's a lot harder to hear criticism or to hear slurs in your own language. Uh, or yeah. from your from people of your own culture, so it it may not be um, as derogatory, say, as um, certain certain English words. But to hear, for example, certain Chinese phrases, it it just it literally means not male, not female. That's how they like to dis, um, to describe a lot of trans people, mm. and it's, it's just a literal description. They think you look neither male nor female, but to hear that, I think it's I feel very embarrassed when I hear it and very self-conscious, a lot more than if someone throws out a, a trans slur to me on the street in Australia. Mm. I guess with a trans slur, they're recognize, recognizing you, even though it's negative, but not being given either a gender would, I guess, make invisibilize you, if that's even a word. But um, would that be accurate? Yes. Ah, uh, yes, I think so, yeah. And it it just reflects that it, it's almost like a cultural shame. It's like you've brought shame to not just yourself, but to your family. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, that's an aspect that I find very uncomfortable in Singapore, that it, mm. it's very reflective on um, not just yourself, but your friends and family and where you come from. Mm. I feel like we could, there's so many questions actually written down here that I want to explore, but because we're short of time, um, final question for anyone who's listening, who's trans or perhaps unsure, what's the message you'd want to share with them? Um, I think I want to tell them that it's okay to be in a state of unknowing. I started transitioning this year and I'm 27. I, I don't think that's too late, but it's not super early either. Just sit with yourself and think about what you want. 
and think about the options available. Don't and don't consider anything as outrageous, but also don't consider anything as inevitable. Ask yourself clearly what you want and go from there and just sit quietly with yourself every day and consider your options. And that's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Amy. Right, no worries. Thanks for having me. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Militantly, never you fear! Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our right because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. You're tuned in to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. So that's all we have time for today, but we'd like to thank all of our beautiful guests, Sally, Jeremy, Sammy, Andy and Jamie. Um, and we just want to say that we recognise the work that you do, that you all do in your communities and in your, in, your, in your careers that is so important in terms of sharing your experiences and, and teaching all of us so much. So thank you for that for today. And for, for um, just to recognise Trans... Day of Remembrance. Hopefully, for those of you listening, you can go and check out some events that are going on in Melbourne and I assume in Australia. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.